This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, February 22nd. It is good to be back. We have so much to catch up on from the past two weeks in the pro tennis world. We've been gone from this podcast as I dove headfirst into our coverage of the 2024 college tennis season. And let me just say, was an absolute pleasure to get to cover the Division I Men's and Women's National Indoor Championships in person. A massive thank you to the University of Washington staff in Seattle, to the Columbia staff in New York, and of course, to the ITA staff. They made my experience second to none. It is always one of my favorite things we do on our Crack Rackets calendar, covering those two events back to back. Unfortunately, it prevents me from watching the quality and quantity of tennis I need to, to be able to do this podcast successfully. That's why I stepped away from this show these past two weeks. Not because I didn't want to record my thoughts on everything happening. It's because I just simply wasn't able to watch those round of 16 quarterfinal days at the National Indoors. They go 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. Of course, preparation for those events takes some time as well. And then, you know, again, it also takes some time in transit. I think I had 15 hours in Indianapolis at home between the men's and women's events. And, you know, by the time I'm in New York, that takes eight hours between getting to the airport, getting on the flight, getting off the airplane, getting to the hotel, checking in, etc. I just wasn't able to watch enough tennis or I didn't feel comfortable providing disingenuous episodes to all of you listeners. So I do sincerely appreciate your patience uh, with this podcast, we are going to make up for lost time. I have so many thoughts to catch up on as I have binged these past two weeks over the last 72 hours. I have watched highlights. I have watched matches. I have watched just about everything that has unfolded over the course of the last two weeks. And thus, I finally feel prepared to catch all of you listeners up to date on anything you all might have missed. Or certainly, I got a lot of takes to get off my chest that, if nothing else, I would like to share. So rest assured, we've got plenty of mini break podcasts coming to close out the month of February here on this feed as there's been a lot of good tennis that's already unfolded, a lot of good tennis to come. We're on the precipice of the start of the Sunshine Swing, Indian Wells, Miami Masters events on the horizon. It's a really fun part of the tennis calendar. And as much as I enjoyed covering those national indoor championships, which by the way, you can catch replays of on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. You can also 
catch up on anything you missed from a storyline perspective over on our Great Shot podcast feed. You can hear from a bunch of the coaches who participated in the event on our Cracked Interviews podcast feed, where, by the way, you can also hear from world number 144, Patrick Kipson, fresh off of reaching his first tour-level quarterfinal in Delray Beach. But, of course, the most disappointing part of that event is that I don't have the opportunity to watch the amount of pro tennis I need to to provide the sort of episodes you listeners deserve. So apologies for that fact. It wasn't again because I wanted to stop doing this podcast. It has nothing to do with us thinking about stopping this podcast moving forward either. It's just sometimes our schedule gets a little bit busy and thus I wasn't going to be able to provide quality episodes for all of you listeners. I am able to do so now. So let's get into it. It's going to be a two mini break podcast Thursday. We're actually going to cover things in reverse order chronologically. On this show, The Great Binge has been completed and I'm ready to catch you up on everything that's unfolded this week on the Pro Tennis calendar. We've got five tour-level events, or four, and then I should say 125K plus a couple of challengers just to keep your eye on. Obviously, the action in the Middle East has been sensational on the women's side of things, and to see Iga Swiatek return to form as quickly as she has after what was certainly a disappointing Australian Open loss to Linda Noskova. Her success is something I'm going to speak about at uh, with more length or to a greater extent, I should say, on our second podcast today with our guest who will remain nameless for now, but I think you can all guess whom will be joining me later today. She's continued that success in Dubai into another semifinal, and things have opened up really nice for her as we approach the semifinal round of play. As you look, there are no other seeds remaining in this draw in Dubai. You've got qualifier Anna Kalinskaya, who looked out of gas after dropping the first set to Coco Goff today to see her advance to a semifinal to capitalize on her successful run in Australia, continue that streak of form. One of many storylines that has emerged over this Middle East stretch, obviously, Serana Kirstea, another one of those storylines. I started the month talking about how if things broke correctly for her, she could find herself at a new career high before she's got to defend all of these sunshine swing points. Well, credit to her. She's done precisely that. Set and 5-1 down. Fights off six match points on her way to a three-set win over Marketa Vondrosova. Got to talk about that. Got to talk about the Sviantec win itself today three and two over a very much informed junction when we got things to talk about as it relates to the Dubai event happening this week on the women's side of course three tour level events on the men's side as well I mean where to begin should we start with the baby seal Alex Mickelson whose ability to strike a tennis ball has never been in doubt but He's slowly but surely becoming a little bit quicker, a little bit more fluid, and you combine that with the overwhelming weapons he already possesses. It's why he's able to get, albeit a schedule-induced, certainly, victory over an Alex Diemenauer, who has been a top-10 player on hard courts unequivocally for 15 months now. And look, the change of surface, climate, conditions, obviously that plays a factor for Hour, who like 48 hours ago, it feels like, was playing in the Rotterdam final. But you still got to go out and win the damn match. That's precisely what Alex Mickelson did. He's not the only one. Guys like Alexander Kovacevic, who continues to consolidate his top 100 position. Arinki Hitchikata has played some pretty good ball. You saw that so far this weekend, Los Cabos. Plenty of storylines there. 
Obviously, in Doha today, Andre Rublev knocked out Jakub Menchik. He's just the real deal. And if you listen to this podcast to start the season, you know I still had some questions about Menchik. No doubt he had the weapons, but physically, how prepared was he to compete at this level, match in, match out? Well, he's answered those questions this week. Did you see his win over Murray to follow that up with a straight set win as physical as it was over Andre Rublev? He's another kid who's just the real freaking deal. He's proven he's got the level already. By the way, it's not just him. Did you see Joao Fonseca in Rio? Oh, my God. Like, I watched Fonseca, who's a University of Virginia commit, who won last year's junior U.S. Open boys singles title. Excuse me. Junior U.S. Open, not junior. Junior U.S. Open boys singles title. Joao Fonseca... I mean, to watch him just absolutely blitz. I'm blanking who he fa- uh, who he faced. I apologize, but blitz. Um, who did he get the win over yesterday? This shouldn't happen to me. First match back. Oh, Arthur Fee. Arthur Fee was always stretched. Like, Arthur Fee is as fast, as explosive. Like, one of those special athletes already this early in his career. And Fonseca just hit him off the court. His backhand was Sinner-esque, the forehand in absolute bazooka. I don't know if he's going to be able to reach the University of Virginia. His results might be too good. And look, I know he's excited about hopefully beginning a college tennis career, but his level in that round two match was, uh, in that round one match, excuse me, was nothing short of extraordinary. And if that's who Fonseca is already, He's got to just be put on the list of promising prospects to keep an eye on. It was that sort of exceptional uh, from the young Brazilian in his round one win in Rio. Obviously, you had the Carlos Alcaraz rolled ankle, and that's a significant storyline. Sounds like he's going to be okay. Sounds like the MRI is day-to-day, but he expects to be ready to go not only for his exhibition match in Las Vegas, but certainly for Indian Wells for Miami, where he's got some significant points to defend Anyways, this is just the introduction. This speaks to we have so much to catch up on over the course of the next few days on this show. And thus, we might have multiple, multiple mini break podcast days coming up, whether it's today where, again, I'm going to catch you up on everything happening this week on this show. And then we'll have a guest joining me later today to catch you up on some 50,000 foot view storylines that have unfolded. I imagine I'm going to have a lot of follow up thoughts that we don't get to today that I'm going to want to clean up tomorrow as well as offer you continuing updates on what's happening this week. So I think we're going to have too many breaks Friday. Wouldn't shock me if we did on Saturday as well. The whole goal is that by Sunday, by Monday, I want all of you listeners to feel caught up on everything that's unfolded in the tennis world. So Many mini break podcasts coming up as we catch you up on everything that's unfolded over the last two weeks in the pro tennis world. Of course, the reason we're able to do that is because of the support we get from all of you. Sincerely, once again, thank you for your patience with this show. We are back and we are excited to catch you up on everything going down each and every day on the pro circuit. Of course, a thank you as well to the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, for the best equipment at the best prices, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. All right, let's do something we haven't done in far too long on this show. Let's talk some tennis. Let's start 
with the action in Dubai now. Obviously, it was a draw that had world number one Iga Svantec. It had world number two Arena Sabalenka. It had Elena Rybakina. It had Coco Goff. It had players like Ostapenko and others who have played Chin Wen so well to start this 2024 season that the semifinal slate is Svantec versus Kalinskaya, Paulini versus Serana Kirstea. Don't think that's something we had on our bingo card. Now, let's get the most straightforward result out of the way first. Jasmine Paulini advances the biggest semifinal of her career. She gets that via the withdrawal from fourth-seeded Elena Rabakina. Rabakina, so far this event, wins over Azarenka, a match that would have gone three sets had Azarenka not been forced to retire due to injury. Magdalena Frich, she knocks out in round three in three sets as well. Rabakina has racked up a lot of tennis this month. Obviously, wins in Abu Dhabi first week of the month, makes finals last week in Doha before getting knocked out by Sviantek and what was an extraordinarily high-level match, one I'm certain I will discuss at length with our guest later today. Now she's playing her third consecutive event in Dubai as well. And, you know, again, that's what? Four plus five is nine, 10, 11. This would have been her 12th match in about 15 days. Can understand why her body needed a little bit of rest, why she made the decision to pull out of today's quarterfinal. Obviously disappointing for the draw, but understandable given the relative wear and tear she's endured early in this season. I mean, she's already played five events, right? She wins, uh, excuse me, six events because she played that Adelaide week the week before the Australian Open as well to go on top of the Brisbane title week she had the first week of the season. So she's played six events already this season, 17-4 and overall. She's holding over 80% of the time. That is the magic elite of the elite of the elite number in women's tennis. She looks like the third best player in the world. I understand Sabalenka lost this week, but did you see the level Sabalenka played in Melbourne? She has to get the benefit of the doubt and then you know, again, as good as Rabakina has been through three events so far here in the Middle East, obviously Iga Svantec has been even better through two. It's the only loss in tennis, non-withdrawal related Rabakina has taken here in the Middle East. And you look for Svantec now, she's won nine in a row, excuse me, eight in a row. Good math, Alex, on her way to the semifinals, technically seven if you take out the Pliskova withdrawal in Doha, but she's yet to drop a set. In the Middle East either. She's been broken a total of seven plus two nine times. Nine times in seven matches. She had Jung Chin Wen. She had Svitolina. She had Sloane Stevens just on strings so far this week in Dubai. And obviously, look, I haven't had the chance to talk about it in a little bit. The surface motion has changed a little bit. It's a little bit of a more abbreviated racket up from, you know, again, when she's bouncing the ball and the racket's low beneath her hip. It's a little bit quicker up above her shoulder now, and she springs through it in the same way, but I suppose the the take-up is a little bit more abbreviated. It's not as elongated as it was even a month ago. Oh my God. I mean, again, it's hard not to talk about the Rabakina final now and how well she was taking the return of serve on the rise, but how well and how authoritatively she is hitting her first strike, whether it be a first forehand after the serve, first backhand after the serve is absolute money. Her footwork is just elite. It's exceptional. It's exquisite. It's all the adjectives. Just her ability to, again, take those big steps early to cover the space and then take those little steps to adjust and 
help make her timing accurate. I do think the ball's coming in a little higher and a little bit heavier than it was before as well. Just it was so difficult for Jung Chin Wen to do anything on her front foot today. And look, Jung Chin Wen did herself no favors, making fewer than 50% of her first serve. Short of her making a first serve and more than anything, had to make a first serve into the forehand or had to make the first serve perfectly on the tee on the do side. Otherwise, that ball was coming surface line or deeper right back at her. That's how well Schwantek's playing right now. Short of making a first serve, and she didn't make nearly enough in this match. She was just never in control. She was never able to play any offense. Shiantek was hitting the backhand cross so effectively when she hits the backhand cross, even though Chinwen was quick enough to track it down. Now the backhand line is open to her and she hits that ball as well as anyone mixing up her spot so well in the forehand, beating you to the spot. She has you so fearful of where she's going next that all she has to do is make a drop shot and you're in trouble. And look, Chin Wen's played really well. Like, I didn't mind her loss to Layla Fernandez in Doha. I think Layla is playing top 20 ball once again. I thought Chin Wen looked really good in her round of 16 win over Potapova. Her weapons just over... She did to Potapova what Sviantek did to Chin Wen. And that's crazy to say because the delta from Sviantek to Potapova should not feel like it's two players of did to you what you did to me of separation. But sincerely, that's how well Iga's playing right now. She's in a, into another semifinal. And you look for her over her last 52 weeks now. Iga Sviantek, 79. She won 89% of her matches. This is semifinal number 13 for her during that stretch. 13 semifinals in her last 52 weeks. She's made eight different finals, won seven different titles, 13 semifinals, 15 quarterfinals. What, how many total events could she have played? Let's see. If she has nine losses and she has seven titles, so 16 events-ish, and she's made 15 quarterfinals. Yeah, that feels right. The only event I think she didn't make the quarterfinals of was her early loss uh, in Australia. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. And I know the records came out where, and I credit to Opta Ace, and I know I'm a little bit behind on my Opta Ace retweets, but by reaching the quarterfinals, it's like she now has more quarterfinals through her first. Let's just go to the Opta Ace stats where, again, shout out to them, best in the business in providing these sorts of numbers. She's the fourth player since the WTA 1000 format's introduction in 2009 to make the quarterfinals in nine consecutive appearances at 1000 events. The list of players who have done that, Serena. Sharapova, Radwanska. Yeah, that's a ridiculous wit list. She is uh, the most WTA semifinals reached before turning 23 since the format was introduced in 2009, equaling Victoria Azarenka. They both have 13. That's more than Wozniacki, Radwanska, Svitolina. She's won her last 14 matches versus top 20 opponents. This century, only four players have 14 match or longer win streaks against top 20 opponents. Venus, Enin, Serena, and Sviantek when she did it the first time in 2022. Not eliminated from the greatest of all time race. Like, I know it was a disappointing Australian Open. The Collins match, the Noskova match, they were weird matches. They were 
so unexpected given she entered on a what 17 18 match win streak whatever it was played so well during the Cancun finals so well in Beijing and just seemed to find that elite form even week one in United Cup blitzing through Chin Wen's and Kerber's and Cerebes Tormo's all these different players and when she escaped from the Collins match you thought all right Iga's gonna find it again here in Melbourne and she didn't in that Noskova match and obviously Noskova deserves a ton of credit but Shviantex bounced back fully. She is the best player in the world. 70-9 and in her last 52 weeks. Top 10, obviously, in both hold and break percentage. In fact, she's not just top 10. She's top 5 in hold and break percentage. She's number 1 in hold and break percentage. Not top 5. Number 1 in both hold and break percentage. 15 quarterfinals in 16 events. 12 semifinals. I mean, like, or 13 semifinals, I think, might be the number. Seven titles, eight finals. She's won 14 straight against top 20 opponents. She's 22 years old, turns 23 at the end of May. The best is yet to come from Iga Svantec, and it does feel like she's a little stronger. She hits the ball a little bit bigger. And look, according to Tennis Abstract, she is an 82% favorite to capture the title entering the semifinals. And, I mean, look... I Kalinskaya is just in trouble. And credit to the qualifier. What a massive run. What a massive start to this season. What a massive four months it has been for her, dating all the way back to her pre-Midland 125K run where she makes the finals of the Tampico 125K at the end of October, then wins Midland. She qualifies and wins a match in Adelaide. Obviously, quarterfinals for her in Australia. She's 38-16. Overall, you look for Kalinskaya with her run. She's up to a new career high of 31 in the rankings. She's only 25 years old. Exactly where she wants to be. And look, she's not the most fluid in and out of the corners, but when the ball is in the center third of the court, she will just blitz you with pace. And she overwhelmed Coco Goff's forehand today. The Goff forehand began spraying. And once Kalinskaya started, decided to swing more freely and kind of just park the bus and attacking that Coco Golf forehand and abandon all other tactics. It was one-way traffic. Kalinskaya, 2-6-6-4-6-2. Obviously, for Coco Golf, disappointing. Two-tournament stretch. First-round loss last week, 2-4 to Sinyakova. Seemed to have right the ship after three-set win over, du- uh, over Pliskova in the round of 16. But... Yeah, Kalinskaya was just able to attack the second serve. She was able to find the golf forehand with elite pace. I thought this spoke more to the depth and the pace that Kalinskaya was playing with. I don't think golf played poorly. I thought Kalinskaya just swung with exceptional freedom. And again, for Anna Kalinskaya, she's up to a new career high. Like She is playing some really good ball right now, but... It was disappointing that Coco Goff couldn't make that more of a track meet, couldn't find the outer thirds, couldn't get Kalinskaya stretched. And part of that was because she was facing a barrage of pressure. Kalinskaya had no patience for extended rallies. But Goff has to find, a, in that match, has to find a way, in my opinion, to elongate rallies, put some air under the ball, go with height into that Kalinskaya backhand. Because when it's hip high for Kalinskaya, she drives through it well. When it gets a little bit out of that strike zone, that's when things get a little bit finicky. I mean, again, you don't want to give her time, but I do think height would have just thrown her off her rhythm and 
felt like Goff was just able, never able to find that rhythm. I thought she was striking the backhand well. She always does, but the forehand was a little bit all over the place for Coco Goff and what was a disappointing result. But credit to Anna Kalinskaya. Again, the big results just keep on coming as such. She's up to a new career high. Gets a shot at the world number one, Iga Sviantek. I do not expect Sviantek's Middle East run, though, to end in that semifinal. I don't expect it it to end at all this week. I will say massive, massive opportunity for our other semifinalists. I imagine Paulini uh, advancing via the withdraw. How about Serana Kirstea? 6-2, 5-1, six match points down, 2-6-7-6-6-2. She advances over Marketa Vandrosova. And look, glass half empty, a devastating loss for Marketa Vondrosova. She had a real chances. I will say, though, and this is why I want to be glass half full, Kirstea on the match points was unbelievable. Like, two of them hit ridiculous out-wide serves. Nothing you can do if you're Marketa Vondrosova. Those serves were too good off the racket of Serana Kirstea. On the other one, she hit this ridiculous swinging volley that just Blitz Vondrosova with pace had her stretched into the outer thirds and follows it up with an even braver swinging volley that was a cross-court put away. I think on four of the six match points, Kirstea hit outright winners. Nothing you can do about that. But 6-2-5-1 and you serve for it twice and you had match points on serve as well. If you're Marquette of Androsova, it doesn't matter how brave Serana Kirstea is willing to go down swinging. You have to find a way to get out of that match in straight sets. And again, credit to Kirstea who in that deficit said, you know what? Screw it. I am going to go down swinging and found another gear and is moving so well right now. And you look for Serana Kirstea, her start to this season. I mean, again, I know she lost first round in Australia, but quarterfinals Abu Dhabi, wins a match in Doha, now semifinalist in Dubai. She's matched her career high. She's back up to number 21 in the live rankings. And now, dare I say, does she have her easiest match of the tournament? Wins over Kenan, Kudermatova, Vekic, Vondrosova so far. She'll take on a Jasmine Paulini who's playing in her first semifinal at this level. And look, Paulini has continued to ascend the rankings. She's currently sitting at a new career high of 22 with her result this week. Both of these players, by the way, will reach career highs with a win. Paulini will jump all the way up to 16. Kirstea all the way up to 15 in the live rankings with a victory tomorrow. Paulini 2-0 in the career head-to-head. How much gas does Kirstea have left in the tank after three set wins over Vekic, Vondrosova these last two rounds? Mentally, how much gas does she have left after overcoming a six-match point deficit? It's certainly an open question. She was swinging so free. I mean, again, yes, Vondrosova had six-match points, should have found a way out of it. Go watch the match points themselves. I mentioned the two out wide serves, which were particularly notable because I just haven't seen Kirstea find that gear, but she had Vondrosova scooting around the court. And there were one too many defensive forehand slices from from Vondrosova. That's always part of her package, but they were tentative forehand slices, not called for in the moment forehand slices. But man, Kirstea just made her pay for any short ball on those match points, continued to swing, even it when the one or two errors piled up in her run back from 5-1 down in that second set. I mean, just a breathtaking sort of moment. Six match points down, 6-2-5-1. Kirstea comes back, 6-2, third set victory into the finals where, again, you look right now, according to Tennis Abstract, Kirstea, 54.2% favorite, despite the love to head-to-head deficit. Again, Iga Svantec 
82% favorite, according to the Tennis Abstract Singles Forecast. That's your update on this week's action in Doha. Obviously, we'll keep you up to date on how tomorrow's semifinals unfold. I do think Kirstea rides the momentum. I think Sviantec wins the title ultimately. So I think it's going to be a Sviantec Kirstea title, uh, a final and then I do think Shantek wins another title here in the Middle East, and then we can get into all the new degree of Opta Ace stats that emerge. Those are your biggest storylines, or that's your biggest event on the women's side. On the men's side, man, winter, where to begin? And by the way, I'll do a follow-up tomorrow on some of the other things that have happened it during this week in Dubai. Round one, round two results you should be more thoughtful of. I mean, I'm going to follow up on some of them with our guests later today and then anything we missed. You know, again, I do have a Chin Wen take in me. I thought Potapova played pretty well. I'm actually not concerned with where Coco Goff is at right now. And I have a lot of thoughts, a lot of thoughts. So that's why we're going to have multiple mini breaks for all of you listeners coming up over the course of the weekend. Let's move over, though, now to this week's men's action yeah, let's start in Los Cabos, where again, big upset last night. Alex Mickelson, probably the biggest win of his career. I know he's had a bunch, but to knock out Alex Diemenauer fresh off at a Rotterdam final run for Demon, four and one win for Alex Mickelson. The big statistic, of, of course, he fought off four of the five breakpoints that he faced, made 62% of his first serves, won 76% of his first serve points. His willingness to move forward. I mean, he's a junior Wimbledon champion, won it with Seb Gorsny a couple of years ago, and you just see why he would be so successful as a doubles player. His hands are spectacular, impeccable, like his ability to hold his ground on the serve and volley, his ability to just pick up the half volley and drive it with depth or, or you know, short hop it as a half drop volley and scoot it just over the net, his ability to hit, drive through the first volley, his confidence in swinging through the overhead, you know, his willingness to when he does open up space and beat you to the spot with a redirect down the line to move forward behind that whenever the opportunity calls for it because he's never going to beat an Alex Demonauer in a track meet. He's well aware of that fact and his tactics reflect that fact. That's That sort of self-awareness, self-recognition is really impressive from the 19-year-old who, by the way, shares a birthday with my mother. So shout out to the August 25th crew. That's good to know. A massive week for Mickelson into the quarterfinals here in Los Cabos. Quarterfinal uh, for him, number what at the tour level? I believe this is his second career. Second career tour level quarterfinal. You look for him now in his career uh, against top 50 opponent Alex Mickelson. Remember, just 19 years old. 2-7 and seven against the top 50. Uh, now, obviously, gets his first top 20 win as he knocks out Alex Diemenauer. 1-4 and four overall in his career against the top uh, 20. But with the win, again, second career tour-level quarterfinal, he's back up to number 74 in the live rankings. This is a guy playing Futures at this time last year. Now he's a top 100 player in the world unequivocally and going to have some massive opportunities. Indian Wells, Miami coming up to push his ranking even higher. Uh, look, for the Demon side of things, I really have no concern. Like, again, he was on a different surface playing indoor hardcore tennis in Rotterdam three days ago where he beat Rublev. He beat Dimitrov before playing a very competitive match against Yannick Sinner. Alex Diemenauer has consolidated his position from the end of last season where he made that Toronto Masters final and was 
top five in hardcourt wins in the 2023 season. Round of 16 Australian Open, the five-set thriller with the, uh, excuse me, with Rublev. Obviously would have loved to be on the winning end of that one, but get some Rublev revenge in Rotterdam. This was a schedule loss. This was, you know, again, to go indoor hardcore to the elevation altitude of Los Cabos, a difficult transition for anyone. Mickelson just pressured him in the exact right way, and Demon Hour was just able, never able to find depth, never able to find consistency, rhythm with any sort of success, and part of that was because Mickelson wouldn't allow him to, uh, but again... Partial schedule loss for Demon, so no shame on his end. Massive victory for Alex Mickelson. Wins over Lestian, Demon Hour to reach his second career tour-level quarterfinal. It's a fun group of quarterfinalists. And, you know, shout-out to a guy like Nuno Borges, who's got to defend the Phoenix 175K title in a couple of weeks. He's into another quarterfinal. You look for him now. Got a win in Delray Beach before losing to eventual Delray champion Taylor Fritz in the round of 16. Now quarterfinals in Los Cabos. That's a really... Really nice way to follow up his first round of 16 at a major, which he reached, of course, in Australia to start this season. You look for Nuno. It's his first career tour-level quarterfinal. Doesn't come on clay, where he's had the majority of his challenger-level success and, dare I say, pro success to date. No, comes on the hard courts for Nuno Borges. And look, with this result now, obviously compiled with his round of 16. He's knocking on the door of the top 50 once again. Reached a career high of 46 a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Excuse me, last week. Currently sitting at 54 in the live rankings. But again, first career tour-level quarterfinal wins over Dom Kopfer and Max Purcell. Purcell just wasn't able to get to the net comfortably because Borges' serve kicked him off the spot every time Borges' kick serve got shoulder height on Purcell, which is just not where he's comfortable hitting that approach shot from. And then again, Nuno used his first forehand so well to whip Purcell around the court. He's going to have a massive test now as Nuno's going to take on Casper Rude. Rude effective in a one-in-love win over Marcos Giron, who, again, this was a schedule loss for Giron. He goes finals Del uh, Dallas, semifinals Delray Beach. To lose second, you even get a win over Taro Daniel round one. Lose second round in Los Cabos. No shame in making round of 16 for Garon, who leaves this month of February, currently sitting 45 in the live rankings, one off his career high as the 30-year-old, who is clearly playing the best tennis of his career. But Casper, again, I know he lost to Cam Norrie. That threw everyone off the scent at the Australian Open. He has regained his rhythm to start 2024. He should beat Nuno, and I expect it to be a Borges Tsitsipas semi-final as Stefano Tsitsipas three in love over Alexander Vukic. He needs to get his season going. He's fallen out of the top 10. Obviously has a ton of points to defend before we hit the halfway mark of the season where if he doesn't defend those points, he could be outside the top 25 himself. His serve, his forehand, Alex Vukic just wasn't ready to handle that sort of pace, that sort of accuracy. We'll see if Kovacevic is the qualifier, wins over Brandon Holt, Rinki Hijikata in three sets to get to this quarterfinal. You look for Kova, who recently made, of course, his top 100 debut. It is quarterfinal, I believe, for him overall number three at the tour level in his career, and indeed, I am correct. It's his second straight, though. Los Cabos quarterfinals, he made this last season as well in July, Uh, so the July version, I should say, of this event. Look, his serve, his forehand, when he's on his front foot, he's just able to move you around the court. I just think Tsitsipas is better at it right now, but it'll be a real test for both two former college tennis All-Americans, Nuno Borges, Alexander Kovacevic. Uh, Obviously, top half of the draw, Mickelson's going to take on Jordan Thompson, who ends the run of qualifier immediately. Leo Nava. 
Nava's a former Junior Slam finalist. The young American is going to be a top 100 player. He's too fast. His weapon's too immense. He's still trying to put all the pieces together, find that consistency at a top 50 level, but I think he already has top 100 level within him, and I think he plays it pretty consistently as well. In fact, I would be more surprised if Emilio Nava didn't end the season in the top 100 than if he did. Uh, knocked out, of course, yesterday by Jordan Thompson, 6-3. and three. Thompson going to take on Mickelson. Zverev dominated Yoshihito Nishioka, the lefty, just didn't have any weapons to hurt the top seed. He'll now take on Tess Nasi. Kokonakis, who his match against Jack Draper in round one has been the best match of the tournament so far. I mean, the level Draper played was elite, and yet Kokonakis just has those days where he plays top 15 tennis, where his serve, his forehand, his willingness to take the ball early on the rise and beat you to the spot with his backhand, you know, again, his strength, the heaviness of his ball, the weapons he possesses, he can just hit you off the spot. And he was just consistent enough and just physical enough and anticipated so well to do that to Jack Draper. Draper played well. Kokonakis was lights out. Follows that up with a 4-2 win over Dan Evans. Much needed uh, quarterfinal for Tanasi Kokonakis, who with this run is back up to number 92 in the live rankings. Inside the top 100, once again, is the 27-year-old Again, that's one of three events we have this week. The semifinal, uh, quarterfinals featuring top 15 players in Tsitsipas, Rude, Zverev. Obviously, for us, intrigue and former All-Americans, Borges, Kovacevic, former Georgia recruit Alex Mickelson. Couple of Aussies, Kokonakis, Thompson as well right now. Zverev, 46% favorite. Then Tsitsipas, 28%. Kasper Rude, 12.8%. Didn't you miss hearing what those tennis abstract singles forecasts look like? I know I certainly looked missed looking at them day in, day out. Uh, let's move on to Doha now. Again, just want to get you up to date on everything happening. You look at the Doha semifinals, the story of the week, and it's in, you know, again, you've got two, three unseated players, Jakob Menchik, Gael Monfi, Alexi Paparin, the 18-year-old Menchik's unequivocally the story, and with his run, Menchik up to a new career high, 94 in the live rankings. He is now, I believe, the youngest player in the ATP Top 100 I mean, the physicality he has displayed in wins over Davidovich Fokina, Andy Murray, Andre Rublev this week, that he's been broken a combined five times between those three matches, saved all six break points that he faced today, won 80.8% of his first serve points against the 11th best ser- uh, returner we have by percentage on the ATP Tour right now in Andre Rublev. Four and six, Jakob Menchik was elite today. Yes, Andy Murray probably should have won the first set in his match against Menchik. He was up 6-4 in the breaker, had a backhand volley on top of the net that he just babies into it. He makes that volley 98 out of 100 times. That was one of the two. Menchik takes the first set. Murray takes the second. It's 7-6 in the third in a three-hour, 20-minute affair. And the next day, the 18-year-old comes back, and he beats top-seeded and a top-10 player in Andre Rublev 4-6. and six. Guy's serve is just the real freaking deal. He's holding 87% of the time so far in the tour-level matches he's played, holding serve over 86% of the time overall in his 12-4 and start to the season. I mean, how well he moves at his size, the heaviness of his forehand, the strength he has on that backhand wing to absorb your pace, to drive through the ball, his comfort level playing the slice, his comfort level moving forward behind the serve, the strength he has. Did I mention that already? And how well he moves at that size. 
I didn't realize he had this sort of level already within him. And again, this is a guy who made his first challenger final May of last season. This is a guy who was playing 25Ks to start 2023. He's now a top 100 player in the world. He is unequivocally playing at a top 100 level, maybe even a top 50 level. I mean, again, the physicality that's been on display and the fact that in each of his matches, Rublev, Murray, Davidovich, Fokina, I'm not saying his serve and his plus one forehand are bigger than Andre Rublev's on a consistent basis, but they certainly could reach those same heights at times. He certainly didn't feel unequipped to, to hang with these three players. It's his first tour level semifinal, deservedly so. Put this kid on the list. I, I, again, is it the Alcaraz, Sin, or Runa tier? Maybe not. Maybe you don't have Runa on that tier anymore. But it's it, it's not up there. But it's certainly right there with an Arthur Fee. You know, it's certainly right there with the Jack Drapers of the conversations. Now, you know, maybe you don't want to put Fonseca in that tier of the conversation quite yet. But the Jerry Shungs of the world, Menchik has to be right in there with. Obviously, you know, I'm a Dino Prismich guy as well. Like. If Menchik wasn't already in that conversation for you, certainly after this week, he has to be. Top 100 debut in the works for the 18-year-old, and deservedly so as he makes his first tour-level semifinal. He's going to have an opportunity against Gael Monfi. Now, obviously, it's the same degree of physicality he might have seen in that Andy Murray match. Monfi, excellent this week in wins over Vendesen, Schkop, Jung Zhen, and then today, 2-4 and four over Ugo and Bear. He was just so disciplined, so consistent, moved so well, particularly coming off of a 7-6 third set win the day before Mofi has built his ranking back. A credit to him. He dealt with so many different injuries to start last season. Now he's all the way back up to number 59 in the world. Can play pretty much wherever uh, he wants on on the schedule and doesn't need to rely on wild cards. Can set his schedule how he feels accordingly. He's got a massive opportunity to make a final. And I know he's obviously looking for another title. Gael Monfi, in fact, hasn't won a tour-level title uh, since winning Stockholm at the end of last year. So that's actually not that long. But... Obviously looking to make a push back to the top 50 opportunity to do so with a couple of wins here this week. Bottom half, you like big serves, you like big forehands. I think there are a lot of similarities in the games of Karen Hatchinov, Alexi Popperin. Popperin today, 4-4 four four win over Sasha Bublik. It's been a really good 52-week stretch for Alexi Popperin. 33-27 and 27 overall, but he's now reached the semifinals of two different events. Quarterfinals of four different tour-level events, including a Cincinnati Masters run over these last 52 two weeks. As such, right now, Popperin uh, currently sitting at a career-high 37 in the live ranking. It feels like he's been around forever. He's still just 24 years old. Grown into his game, he's filled out the body. The backhand's become more consistent. Obviously, hatched on today, the withdraw victory over Emil Rusevori, but he got a good round one win for him, or first match victory over Fabian Marajan. You know, again, we had our top four seeds all entering the quarterfinals, but Bublik, Umber, Rublev all knocked out today. Hatchinov, the only one who advances. Hatchinov as such, 40.4% favorite to win the event. Then Monfi, 35-1. Menchik, 14-5 over Popperin at 9.9%. Jakob Menchik's the story, though. If you have not tuned in to the 18-year-old, his run this week's not a fluke. It's the culmination of a lot of challenger-level success. Obviously, he had some success last year at the U.S. Open as well, making round three. Now you kind of understand why, again, the physicality, the weaponry. Indoor hardcore is going to be his best surface because he wants to play fast. He wants to play big. This surface, the best 
in allowing him to do so, but it's the added physicality that he's put on display so far this week in Doha. That's what's been so notable. He's ready to compete at this level. Uh, your semifinals set in Doha. Last but not least, the action in Rio. Look, I mean, again, we're this is the event we're earliest in right now, only uh, four of our quarterfinalists set. Cam Norrie going to take on Tiago Sabathfield. Norrie looks like a top 10 player on the clay. I almost wonder if his game is better suited for clay now. The heaviness of his forehand, the windiness of it as well. His ability to hit the cut, serve, slice T on the deuce, and then yank you so wide into that backhand corner if you're a righty or ad side of the court on the first uh, first forehand cross. You know, how low his backhand stays on this surface. The cut serve wide on the ad side as well. How well he slides, his physicality. His game is really well suited for the clay court sound. That's something he has really tried to improve upon throughout the course of his career. He's looked excellent in his first two wins over Deli and Burrios Vera in straight sets. Oh my God, did Francisco Sarandolo need a week like this? He's through to the quarterfinals as well. Wins over Comenza uh, and, and uh, excuse me, Albert Ramos Vinolas as well. And, you know, again, he's just fi- starting to find some rhythm on the forehand. He's starting to find some rhythm with all aspects of his game as well. And, you know, again, moving more comfortably. It's just, again, he's back on his preferred surface, and you can see that in his comfort level, much-needed quarterfinal. Sabeth Vild, uh hitting the forehand so massive and moving so well. He's as fit as he has ever been. This is a guy who was a former junior U.S. Open champion. The talent, the ball striking has always been there. The focus, discipline, much, much less so. It's there right now. Wins over Tabilo, uh, Munar to reach the quarterfinals. You look for Sabeth Field now with this run. He's up to number 78 in the live rankings. Four off his career high is the 23-year-old. And then Dushan Lajevic wins over Laszlo Gera, uh, Daniel Galan uh, to advance to the quarterfinals as well. But the story is Joao Fon- uh, Fonseca, the 2023 junior U.S. Open champion. Obviously, he reached his first challenger semifinal in Buenos Aires to start this 2024 season, and that kind of got him on some people's radar. If you're a nerd like I am, you heard Junior U.S. Open, him committing to Virginia. That's what got the 18, uh, excuse me, 17-year-old on your radar. Did you watch his 0-4 win over Arthur Fee, where he didn't face a single break point despite making just 54% of his first serves? I, you just have to go watch the highlights. You just have to. Because this kid's forehand is a bazooka. His backhand is sinner-esque. The movement, so brave. The drop shot, so easy because his ground strokes are bazookas. Yeah, the first serve leaves something to be desired, but every 17-year-old does. His movement in and out of the corners, the fluidity on this surface, you know it's going to translate well to others. His comfort level volleying, hitting the overhead out of the air, and then again, the ground strokes, the pace he's able to generate, the sound off the racket, his willingness to take the return on the rise and beat you to the spot, which he does so well off the backhand return in particular. All the poker chips are in. On 17-year-old Joe Fonseca. And he might lose to Christian Green today because 17-year-olds, their levels vacillate. Match in, match out. That's what happens when you're young. But the ceiling I saw on display, that's a top 10 player. And for him to show that sort of level at age 17, most people just are not able to do that. So that's my biggest storyline right now in Rio. He takes on Christian Green. 
Right now, Nori, justifiably so, 29.9% favorite. Sebastian Baez, 22% favorite after that. Nori's playing really good ball, but I'm telling you, if you have not watched Jao Fonseca, make this the week you do so. Last but not least here on part number one of Thursday's shows here on the Mini Break Podcast feed, let's talk WTA125Ks and Challenger events in Puerto Vallarta uh, again. Fun set of quarterfinals, certainly. Uh, you look at the quarterfinals, Yulia Startup-Seva, former Old Dominion standout. She qualified for her first major in Australia. Now into the quarterfinals here of this 125K. She'll take on Tyler Preston. You've got an All-American quarterfinal as well as the youngsters, Haley Baptiste, Rob Ben Montgomery, going to go face-to-face. McCartney Kessler through to the quarterfinals, which she gets a win over Claire Lou. She's capitalizing on, again, this, someone who won her first match at a major uh, at this Australian Open. Uh, she's advanced. You've got Katie McNally still alive as well. Linda Fruvertova looking for some wins, looking to re-enter the top 100. She's back into the round of 16 as well. Right now, your favorite in Puerto Vallarta. The two players who have been on the rise, the two who qualified in Australia. Yulia Startup-Seva, 26.1%. McCartney Kessler, 21.8%. That could have been a college tennis matchup, folks, as recently as two years ago. So perhaps now you understand why I spend so much time covering that level. So I want to know who are these on-the-rise talents. On the men's side of things, challengers, uh, names to keep your eyes on. How about in POW? You look at the 2024 Clement Shedek coming off of his first challenger title of former University of Washington uh, standout, currently sitting at 347 in the live rankings is the 22-year-old. Uh, he's advanced to another quarterfinal, but you like youngsters. Brandon Nakashima, former top 50 player. He fell outside the top 100. He's back into it. He's off to like a 17-3 and start to his season in challenger-level success. He's into the quarterfinals. He'll take on the talented young Italian, Matteo Bellucci. Dino Prismic, the young rising Croatian former junior French Open champion, taking on talented young Swiss player. I think junior French Open finalist, Leandro Rebi, uh in the quarterfinals. So a lot of fun names on display right now. Nakashima, obviously, 34.8% favorite uh, given his run of success. Radies, though, also made a challenger final so far this year. So a lot of guys to keep an eye on, including, of course, Luca Pui, the former top 20 player in Tenerife. Just keep your eye on young Martin Dom. Dom, the 20-year-old American, another challenger quarterfinal. He's made now, I believe, six since September of last year. As such, the 20-year-old's up to a new career high, 206 in the live rankings. Look, big lefty. It's every coach's favorite word. This guy's just got real weapons. Keep an eye on him in Tenerife. Another guy who, if things break right, he might just be top 100 threatening by the end of this year. And then, you know, in Punai, uh, Val Vashro, Makun Sasakumar, Adam Walton, all guys who have crossed our path here at Cracked Rackets. They're all still alive in the quarterfinals. Uh, Duye Ajakovic, 26.9% favorite. Walton, 26%. Val Vashro, who has had more challenger success maybe to start this year, 12 wins than he had had it, before he's only ever had 12 wins in a season at the challenger level once he went 12 and 11 in 2022 he's 12 and 1 at the challenger level to start this season into another quarterfinal in punai so just a name to keep an eye on uh he's 21.5 percent as well according to the tennis abstract singles forecast that's your look at this week but again the great binge has been completed And we got more tennis to talk about. I've got two weeks to catch up on. Everything that happened last week, everything that happened during that Dallas week as well, Abu Dhabi week. I got takes to get off my chest. We got three days to do so, and then we're going to be caught up by the start of the Sunshine Swing. We're going to have some fun with guests next week as well. So, folks, I mean this in every sense of 
the phrase, the mini break is back. We've got podcasts coming up on the horizon that I'm certain all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, the reason we're going to be able to provide them to you is because of the tireless efforts of our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, who, as always, has a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out. A shout-out to him, as always. A shout-out as well to the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westhoff, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll see you all later today. Thanks, everyone.